the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Warner, and with me today is another special guest. We have Jeff Mazur. He's the Director of Government and Industry Partnerships at the Taylor Geospatial Institute. Jeff, thanks so much for making time for us today, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Ryan. It's really great to be here with you. Absolutely. I mean, you and I, have we've been uh, in touch for a few years now, and I follow you on LinkedIn, and I, I love a lot of your content. And I got to tell you, the, the first question is, what is the Taylor Geospatial Institute, and, and what do you do there? What's your day-to-day sure. -day like? Yeah, sure. So uh, the simple answer is that the Taylor Institute is a research institute that was created not very long ago, about 16 months ago, it was founded uh, to create a true national center of gravity and center of excellence for geospatial research. And uh, the Institute is made up of eight uh, constituent institutions, seven of which are universities that are centered on and around the St. Louis area. Oh. Um, and also a plant science center called the Danforth Plant Science Center. It's also here in St. Louis. And uh, really, the Institute was created because there has been a tremendous amount of momentum in the St. Louis region, really um, going back to 2016 uh, in the geospatial field. And that kind of goes back to the fact that there's this federal agency, an intelligence agency, actually, called the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And back in 2016, they made the decision to build this new nearly $2 billion uh, headquarters in North St. Louis City. And obviously, a big federal investment like that is a really big thing for a place like St. Louis. And what that initiated was this uh, civic and business and philanthropic investment in the region in making geospatial a, a really a core tenet of the economic future of St. Louis. And one of the people who is probably the most renowned business person and philanthropist in St. Louis is a guy named Andy Taylor. And he is the chairman of uh, Enterprise, which you may know from Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, uh, because he saw this possibility that existed for St. Louis in geospatial, uh, he saw that, that our advancement in that field would never happen unless there was world-class science and research in geospatial happening here. And so last April, he made uh, a, a legacy gift uh, the biggest gift ever made in service of geospatial science to start this institute. And so ever since April of 2022, um, Taylor Geospatial has been bringing scientists together, investing in new labs, new science, in geospatial projects, all of which are designed to advance the science so we can solve really big problems like food security, national security, geospatial health challenges like COVID-19 and all of the geospatial elements of problems like that. Um, so that we can solve these human problems using science. And if we do it right, create innovation and technology here that will draw in companies that work in the geospatial realm. Now, this is usually the part when somebody says, hold on, hold on. Like, what the heck is geospatial, right? You've been talking yes, about geospatial. So I beat you the punch there, Ryan. Uh, and it's a really great question. And, and I think historically, like maybe, you know, 10 years ago, if you ask someone what geospatial is, it focused very much on on like maps, and there's these these software systems called GIS, geographic information systems, which are really high tech mapping systems, computerized systems that do mapping, and that is geospatial, right? And that's a core platform that is used in the geospatial industry. But geospatial is so many other things. It, it is 
Um, it is Earth observation imagery from satellites, right? There are thousands of satellites orbiting the Earth, taking pictures, gathering radar information, gathering hyperspectral information about the Earth and the planet. That's geospatial information. Anything that's like GPS or has to do with position, navigation, and timing of the Earth. Like these are systems that are really central to us because we use them to navigate and we use them to verify bank transactions and all this stuff. Like that's geospatial. So really like any piece of data or information that has a location and or timing component to it, like they call these like spatial or spatiotemporal data, all of that stuff is, is geospatial. And, and what you see is that so much of like today's economy, whether it's iPhones or whether it's like autonomy and self-driving cars, like they're all focused on really core, they require these geospatial technologies and advancements in geospatial science in order to work. And so that's a really long answer to a short question, but uh, that's what Taylor Geospatial Institute is. That's what geospatial is. And I'm trying to advance that science and apply it in ways that really do create innovation and opportunity is at the center of uh, the Taylor Institute's mission. And, and as far as what I do as really the person who guides partnerships here, uh, my goal is to say, We've got this amazing asset in the the institute, in the consortium. It's 140 scientists right now who have geospatial components to their work across a bunch of amazing institutions. We've built and are continuing to build this really impressive data infrastructure where we collect these geospatial data sets, things that are really powerful because they empower the work of scientists who are trying to make these innovations. We have these assets there. We can use the Institute to bring those people together across institutions to, to do even more powerful science and to work together. And my job is to say, here are these assets, here's this expertise, here are these skills. How do we engage with government agencies that have a need for advancing science in their space? So uh, it's having conversations and sharing a little bit about what the Institute does, talking with companies and understanding what their vision is for the future, understanding what they can bring to the Institute you know, satellite companies, it's amazing that for decades, really, it was just governments who were in the business of collecting Earth observation imagery from satellites, right? To get into space to have a satellite, you basically had to be uh, a, a national government. And that's not true anymore. You have all these companies who are do small sets, who have thousands of satellites orbiting the Earth. And what they're seeing is that particularly with the implications of the things that are changing in our world vis-a-vis -vis climate, that being able to collect this data and make analytic insights using this data that you're capturing about the world is a really powerful way to, to make decisions about what we can and should do in order to forestall climate change or to make agricultural decisions that will limit their impact on climate change. So just really all these rich threads uh, to mine that comes from the fact that it's a growing industry. And I get to go out there as a part of this work and talk to those people and figure out how to make that connection between the scientists in industry and the scientists in the academy here at TGI. Wow. That's, that's a lot. So you, a lot's on your shoulders. Like, so you, it's, it's always a puzzle you have, you have to solve. How can we use this data in a way to uh, create kind of like a brighter world, if you want to say? Well, I think that's right. I think the mission is huge. And I'm lucky that, you know, I get to focus on a piece of that, which is really about, I understand that there are, there are literally hundreds of thousands of companies in the world. Some number of them have a focus that's relevant to this. And my job is really to go out there and say, okay, 
I found this company and they do work that's in a space that's relevant to the geospatial world. How can I get them to understand that they can tr- they can share their hard problems? What are the things, what are the challenges that are going to keep them from advancing their company or advancing their mission two weeks from now or two years from now or two decades from now? And try and get them to come into community with scientists and say, these are my hard problems. I want to work with you to solve them. And so, yes, it's a it's like a huge global puzzle and there's lots at stake in doing the work and doing it well. But I think like anything, you, you start, particularly in a young institution, with trying to figure out, okay, what can I do today? And what can I do this week that's going to help advance that mission over the long term? And for me, it's really about saying, in, in most instances, it's about me helping get people in a room and then stepping out of the way. And hey, once they're in the room, like what I know about hyperspectral, Ryan, can, can fill a thimble, right? It is less than that. So I'm not going to be of any assistance there. But going out and understanding and trying to make that linkage is the way that I can try and provide value. And that's for someone who's not a scientist, for someone who's spent most of their career trying to figure out how to advance organizations uh, that have a mission that may not be uh, right in my sort of expertise sweet spot, that's a really comfortable place for me to be because it is about the people and trying to do that matching of saying, hey, you've got something and you've got something and together it can be even more special. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were talking there, I was just kind of, you know, you painted a picture and I was in my mind, I'm putting myself in that room too and thinking that would be all, you know, like Korean to me. Like I, I would just be sitting there and be like, I cannot absorb any of this. This is not... You know, science is real and people, it is amazing to me to, to get to, not at any deep level, but to get to sit every day and work with and work alongside people who've devoted their careers and life to science, sometimes in pretty specific and niche areas. That's when it really starts to, to hit home and you're like, okay, yeah, we do this science, not just because, certainly we do it because it creates uh, it, it just enhances the amount of knowledge in the world, but also it has these really uh, profound practical implications when it's applied to real world problems. Yeah. And that's exactly where I wanted to go next. So some of our listeners, I mean, you were talking about like really high level stuff and I, I love it, but I'm yeah. curious how, can you give an example of something maybe you've seen materialize or something that's it's in a pipeline? Maybe you can't divulge that, but what's like a real world application that the average Joe wouldn't know, but has been enhanced or, or improved due to yeah. the work there? Sure. I think, I think like the realm of food security and food science and digital agriculture is a really great example of this. Part of what uh, we know, one of the core challenges, not just for science or America, but really for humanity in the decades to come, is how you feed a rapidly growing population Mm -hmm. and how you feed a population uh, that's growing most rapidly in parts of the world where you have some pretty deep challenges with regard to growing more and doing more and creating uh, uh, the food that's going to feed those people. And so that food security it's important, obviously, for putting food in the mouth of a person, but it also has really uh, profound downstream implications for just things like global stability, right, and human migration. And so how do you take geospatial science, like we're doing here at TGI, and use that in service of solving that challenge? And like, I think a really compelling uh, way that we do this is to use that Earth observation imagery to direct uh, how you make decisions about enhancing the food that that farmers can grow around the world. And the, the example here is my colleague. Uh, his name is Vasit Sagan, and he is a, a full professor at St. Louis University. And he 
was the interim director of uh, Taylor Geospatial Institute until very recently. He works with uh, farmers and he works with plant scientists to create these these plots that he gathers data. Sometimes it's multispectral data or sometimes it's imagery data from drones or from satellite imagery. And he has people who help collect ground truth data. And he basically uses that imagery and then he uses AI and machine learning to create insights about what is happening at the plot level based merely on the imagery that he's getting. So the power of this is he can take based on the imagery and the machine learning from all of this imagery that he's collected and say, just by looking at a pixel that's taken from space, he can make insights about what you need to do, what is happening with the plants on the ground. What sorts of plants are the one that can grow with less water, oh, really? um, which can grow with less nitrogen. And that has really important implications because oftentimes we're talking about how we grow food in environments where water is at a premium. Growing plants that use less nitrogen is really important because that's one of the drivers of uh, continued uh, um, climate change runoff, methane release, all of these things that have a deleterious effect on the environment. You can sort of look at this small plot of the world, make judgments, create a model, and then apply that to the entire country or the world and make really big, help make really big decisions about what sort of things you need to do to increase crop yield or to minimize damage to the environment through agriculture. So all of this stuff is this virtuous cycle where you're gathering information about which are best, and then you're creating the plants and the crops that are ultimately going to go to work in those parts of the world to help feed the world, right? So it's like these really big insights taken from thousands of feet above the earth that wound up that wind up having these really specific implications for how we do something as fundamental as agriculture, right? Uh, so that's one example of what's happening there. There are others. I, I think, you know, there are national security examples that uh, are really around how we use different kinds of earth observation imagery to to give us insights about parts of the world that are that are deeply changed by things like climate change. Mm-hmm. So the, the Arctic, you know, we think of it as, you know, sort of a big chunk of ice that's floating up there. Um, yeah. That's changed a little bit, right? And the change has implications for like navigability of that space and the access of the country's adversaries to navigating that space. And um, we don't know an awful lot about what's actually happening up there. And sometimes we don't know the difference between how to how to differentiate an iceberg that's broken off because of climate change from a dark vessel that may belong to some foreign adversary. And so using all, all types of earth observation imagery um, to be able to create algorithms that uh, allow the people who are protecting the country to to know with a high degree of certainty that this thing is not just an iceberg that's floating out there, that this is a dark vessel that's trying to evade detection. Like that has pretty clear and resounding uh, impacts on how we protect the the country or the our neighbor countries. And so those are just two examples of like how geospatial science, it feels abstract in a way, has these really valuable and practical implications. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm still processing half of that. But the first part, you're basically yeah. telling me you guys have found Atlantis now. Like, you know <laughs> where it is using your technology and your algorithm. It, 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 exactly. Well, you know, it's like this is technology that exists in the world. And one of the things that's amazing is I, th- I, 
I think amazing thing about knowledge in, in this space, one of the things that's occurred to me just in working here is you think about what it took for humans to be able to go into space. You think about what it took for humans to be able to create a thing that they could put into space and that would orbit the earth continuously. Sure. Yeah, yeah. What, what it took for humans to create like a sensor that they could put on that thing so that you could see down 40,000 feet below or, or more, mm -hmm. you know, miles down below to the earth and have resolution that might be half a meter of resolution, right? Like all of those things are amazing. And, and, and that stuff is, that's like the old news, right? The fact that we can launch that stuff and, and have these insights, what's really amazing about this is that all of the action, I want to see all the action, 90% of the action is just what people with their brains can figure out to do with that data and with that imagery, right? That's where all the action is. It's all about the insight. It's all about the analysis. And like, if you really think about it, if you really step back and you say, oh, that's like a pretty cool thing for just the idea of human brains, uh, that right. in, in many ways, it's not being able to launch something in space. That's the true like innovation. It is about just how we think about what to do with that data and to think creatively about how to mix it, how to fuse it, how to apply it, to make observations about one thing in the world and to use them to make other observations that are not immediately apparent from what you saw. Like that's the real power of all this stuff. And I think in most ways, that's the power of geospatial science. And that's why I think so many people are going into that space and there's so much investment in trying to do more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense. I remember, I recall as you're talking the story of um, Galileo when he created the, the telescope and he was interested in, in astronomy, of course. And, but he knew he couldn't, he was only going to get so far. Only so many people were going to support his curiosity of the space. And so he ended up uh, repurposing it, finding another application and sh so that uh, people can, um, on the shoreline, militaries can see vessels coming from a greater distance and prepare for it. And they paid. And, and then he was able to fund his further research that he wanted. But if you don't have that uh, kind of, what would you call it? Like, creativity, I guess, or, or a way to think about how to repurpose something, another application for it, you're kind of stuck. Well, I, I mean, in, in most ways, I think like that's one of the ways that you can think about differentiation between doing like invention and science, right? Like I can create a tool that's for a thing, or I can create a product that is intended to achieve some sort of purpose that someone needs, right? Um, like the science in most ways is about creating these genuinely new insights that might have an infinite number of applications across any number of different use cases. And I think that that's one of the things that's um, powerful about being able to do science in an academic institute that's that floats free from a commercial or industrial situation where you really can only do things or build things that have yeah. that generate profit. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you always have to have that in the bottom line. And that can be a real limitation on science. And I mean, I think it's, it's fascinating to think that in a way that I never really realized before, there are companies that have big companies that have lots of resources that have um, innovations or intellectual property that they have come to discover in the course of their work but it's not core to their business and they don't have infrastructure that's set up to do the commercialization of new technology that's not a part of their core business. So it's just there and it's going to sit there and nothing's going to happen with it, right? Which is a pretty remarkable thing. And so just the idea that you can, you have a, uh, you have these institutes, you have academia, you have researchers 
who are focused in a space trying to create those new insights on their own and those new innovations that may have those implications, but who are freed from the pressure of having to do it in service of that sort of um, profit generating application. That's that's how you get scientific freedom and that's how you get genuinely new insights about the world. So um, it's exciting to work in a place where people are focused on creating those sorts of insights, knowing that um, they might get applied to one of these really important societal challenges like food security or national security or health. One of the great things about science is that it advances and people have the have the luxury of just allowing their lives to be better at a baseline level because of some work that some scientists did along the line, whether it was somebody who 70 years ago created a vaccine and that we don't really think about anymore. We just live with the benefits of it or because somebody created some, uh, used some insights from a satellite to be able to grow grain more cheaply. And now we can buy a bread, a loaf of bread for two seventy nine instead of, you know, $12 <laughs> or whatever. Sure. Right. Like, yeah. you know, those are things that we don't have to think about. We just benefit from. And I, and I think in most ways, that's the way we want it should want it to be. Um, people just want the world to get better. They want the world to, uh, be a more comfortable and healthy place to live and science can achieve that. And I think if people knew the actual costs in dollars and in energy and in sweat that went into creating scientific innovation that undergirds the advancements of their life, they would probably have a lot greater appreciation for. Yeah, for sure. And I love shining a light on that too, because it, it, you know, for example, when I see a building, I mean, I was in, in Europe earlier this year, I was in France and you see like the Notre Dame Cathedral, which they're still repairing. But first thing I think is like, wow, how many, how many man hours went into this to, to design it, to build it, to get the stone, like it just incredible, incredible architecture, incredible. And there's so many innovations that we have already, like you said, that we take for granted or that we don't realize that countless people have spent their careers on so that we can buy bread at 279. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's fascinating, but let, let's go turn back the clock a little bit. Sorry. We got kind of, yeah, by all means. There. Uh, yeah. So Jeff, you were formally uh, trained and as a lawyer, and then you've transitioned throughout your career multiple times that ended up here. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey? Was this always the plan or what happened? Yeah, I, I don't think this was the plan, Ryan. I, um, you know, I did, as you said, uh, many years ago now, more years than I care to remember. I, um, I, I graduated college and went to law school and not really knowing what I was going to do. Um, and, uh, it's led me on this journey in a career that now has spanned sort of government and politics and organizing and, um, specifically working for a government and a governor to, um, working in an elected roles in the labor movement to, running a, a nonprofit that's focused on training people for technology careers. And now ultimately making my way to a sort of that, that, that academic world and a research institute at Taylor Geospatial. It's, it's very hard to draw a through line uh, from where I started to where I am today with any consistency. Uh, I, and, you know, I was um, reflecting, I was having coffee this morning with a, a friend of mine, somebody I go back a long way, who's who's got a not dissimilar path for me. She trained as a lawyer, but hasn't done that in many years. And she was just sharing the insight of being someone who has a number of people from her friend group and her family who are genuine experts, whether it's in the law or in medicine, and that she felt oftentimes like an outsider looking in on people who had this true expertise in some field, deep expertise that she didn't have. 
And that was a story that resonated deeply with me um, because if if there's one common characteristic through um, Taylor Geospatial Institute or, or Launch Code, which was my last employer, or um, uh, the American Federation of State County Municipal Employees, which was before Launch Code, and before that I was working for the governor of the state of Missouri, I was not an expert in any one of those things. In fact, I was largely uninitiated in many of those things <laughs> when I came into the organization. So um, for me, the story has very much been trying to understand organizations or opportunities out there that had some interesting role to play in the world, uh, that had some social component or something that was geared towards um, making advancements that were bigger than just the organization. Uh, so, you know, we talked a lot about the implications for the science and the advancement that happens at Taylor. Before at Launch Code, that was an organization that trained people for free to become software developers and data scientists and place them in first jobs mm -hmm. in technology careers that helped them support their families. I don't know how to code. Uh, even working seven years, uh, five of them of CEO uh, as CEO of Launch Code, I, I don't know any more about coding today uh, than <laughs> I started. Um, but each of these things, each of these stops, it was all right. Here's this. Here's this organization. Here's this institution. Here's this. Uh, capacity that exists. And, and there's something in that that appeals to me because it can do something uh, to help improve people's lives in the world. Um, and at Taylor, it's using science to make life better uh, and solve these big societal challenges. At Launch Code, it was helping people step into new careers that would genuinely help them earn more and help them feel a sense of achievement and accomplishment and place in the world. At, at AFSME, it was about helping low-wage workers and public workers uh, uh, stand together to make a few more dollars to go from really low-wage jobs to slightly less low-wage jobs. And, and all those things are different, but it, for me, it was about, okay, I have this limited skill set, this, this capacity. I, I know whatever I know, and I have some levers that are available to me within the context of this organization that um, I can use, hopefully, to make it a little bit better to push it a little bit further, to help shape it in a direction that's going to advance the cause a little bit more. And I think that's how I've spent my career and, and, and for better or worse. Right. And so when I thought about what I wanted to do next before taking this job, you know, there were a few, really very few kind of, um, elements that I was looking at. What was it a space that I was interested in? I wanted it to be new to me, not totally foreign to me, but I wanted it to be new to me so I could learn a new milieu. Right. Mm -hmm. And geospatial was one of those things. I was familiar with it, but not at a deep level. Um, was it a thing that genuinely had was tied uh, tied into the future success and growth of the region where I live and the people that live there? Right. Um, that was really important to me. And, and you know, third thing was: is there work to be done there that really fits within the skill set that I have? Which I think, if I really have to boil it down, it's about helping people uh, understand what it is the organization is trying to do in a way that makes sense to them, right? And make sure. a connection at that level. And, and Taylor wound up being a, a place where I could say yes to those questions and be engaged in trying to shape uh, something that is important and new and something that has capacity to do great good. And, and so I'm, I'm really uh, fortunate that I landed where I am here in 2023, though. Had you told me three years ago that I would be working at something called the Taylor Geospatial Institute, which didn't yet exist, I would have said, hey, well, what is geospatial again? Uh, yeah. And how am I going to end up there? So, uh, but that's the way things so often happen. And I, and I guess I can only be grateful for that. 
you know, I admire, it's very admirable, I think. And, and it's very, um, I have a lot of respect because you're so passionate and, uh, I don't know if patriotic's the right word, but about St. Louis and about, uh, you know, where, where your local, everything I see on your social media and on, on LinkedIn, especially it's about, it's promoting St. Louis. It, it's showcasing, you know, the, the positives it's, it's shining a light on it and all it has to offer. And every time I see that, I, I love when people are very proud of, of where they live or where they came from or, or what they're about. It's, it's always, it's good to see that. I think. No, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, um, that's not something I would have recognized had you not said it, but I think it's hundred percent true. I, I didn't grow up here. I don't come from St. Louis. I'm, I'm a transplant to here and it's a place that I, uh, love. I think, um, you know, you see places that become important to you and you see, uh, that they have so much, opportunity and, and capacity for growth and that there's so much good that can happen if they improve even just a few degrees in what they do. And I think as I, when I started my career, I left college and I went to law school in Washington. I wanted to work on Capitol Hill because that's where laws were made and that's where you could influence what the whole country did. And I think my whole conception of success in the world was trying to do things on the very largest scale that I possibly could, right? And I think that's a that's probably a fairly common impulse, particularly for young people, um, for particularly for people who are interested in policy or social issues and all of this stuff. And I and I still admire people who have that impulse and who are driven by that impulse. Um, but as I've gone along, I've become, I've changed and I've seen that there's so much of this that is about, well, Hey, like, what is it that I see and feel day to day? Right. What is it that my kids grow up in? Um, what is it that I can do that genuinely, um, is about a one-on-one -on -one, face to face human level interaction that I can actually feel. And the longer I go on in my life and career, the less enamored I, I am of feeling like, Hey, I have to be Jeff Mazur that is changing these big overarching things and more comfort with the idea that I can be Jeff Mazur that is trying to make a better place for my neighbors, is engaged with my community at the municipality level, is um, working on things that can push the boulder up the hill just a little bit further with regard to the region where I live and its success. And, uh, and those are the things that with the benefit of hindsight and as I move sort of into the second half of my career, uh, I can feel like comfortable with and proud of and, uh, and, and not ashamed of in any way, but, uh, but can hold up as a thing that feels to me like, like an advancement. Oh, you're still in the first half. Okay. You got oh, well, I appreciate you saying, I hope not. That's a, I've been working for, for too long now, Ryan, for, uh, for me, me to double that. You're looking forward to the, to the gold watch. Yeah, I hear you. Um, but uh, we appreciate your time, Jeff. I won't take up too much more, but I do have one last question for you, especially being that we are the professionally speaking podcast and you're in your last position with launch code. You were the CEO, the executive director. And then in this new position, it sounds like you're more of a, like a, I don't want to say a liaison, but your, your job is to make sure uh, shared interests amongst different parties and, and help collab facilitate collaboration and such. And I'm just curious through a communication lens and a people lens, what was that? What's the difference? What's it like trying to run the operations and, and communicate it at launch code versus what your role is here? That's a, that's a really good question. So I do think that, um, in part of what 
Part of what I was looking for as I thought about what my next career move was going to be was to be able to shift my focus a little bit from always thinking about the 10,000 foot and the big picture to being, and for being responsible at a sort of, um, uh, CEO level for what those operations look like. And to think about how sort of in the same vein as we just talked about, uh, how I can move forward as, uh, as someone who thinks about my individual contribution to things. And so I think in many ways, the challenges are very similar. It is how do you take what this organization does or is good at? How do you formulate it in a way that's compelling and in a way way that people and a specific audience can absorb it and want to be a part of it? Like at at its core, the challenge of Launch Code CEO and director of partnerships at TGI are, are the same at that level. At an operational level, it's much different, right? Instead of working with a chief marketing officer and a director of public relations there to sort of think about what this sort of top of the message pyramid is going to be and then figure out how we disseminate it. It is me getting to go out in the world and talk to people and have conversations at conferences. Last week I was in Washington, DC, and I talked to people from from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Oh, really? And I talked to my US senator. Um, and I talked to people from companies like Esri, which is a GIS company. And it was my responsibility to, you know, as one does on the fly, think about, okay, this is a person who works in this space. This is a person whose interests are A, B, and C. These are the, uh, the nexuses with things that we do at TGI. How can I talk to this person and share with them what I'm doing now in a way that's going to feel naturally compelling to them or, or that thinks about how what we do at TGI can support what they're trying to do at NOAA or um, at the Department of Homeland Security? And so I really just think it's the same challenge, just in a slightly different operational form. And, you know, there's there's a beauty to that, right? Like it, it is wonderful to be able to have a team of people who are at your disposal and they will listen to you and help uh, help you shape an overarching message that other people get to go out and deliver. Um, but that also can be isolating. And so to mm-hmm. be the person who actually gets to go out and talk to people and to have in that way, total control. No one, uh, regardless of what anyone else says here, I get to decide what comes out of Jeffrey's mouth when I have any conversation, right? right. And that's a that's a beautiful thing, and and it's an exciting thing, and it, it, it and it really does help uh, push me further down that path towards being able to generate through my work those human connections that I find to be the kind of most satisfying uh, at this point in my life and career. I agree. I, I could totally understand. And, and knowing you the little bit that I do and, and your personality, it's 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 a perfect match. And your ability to, I don't even want to call it a talent because it's definitely a skill. It's been honed over time. But your ability to identify what their interests are, what they're they're not the person you're speaking with and, and where their knowledge lies and where they're and then intersect that, like you said, the nexus of what you can offer or how you can provide to find common ground and and to work out something mutual. That's yeah, that's that's impressive. And I'm sure that's served you well throughout your career. Well, it's a work in progress, Ryan. You know, every everything, part of the beauty of doing new things is uh, you can be proud of all the stuff you accomplished before in the last role or the last job or the last organization, but hey, like the whole hill is in front of you now, right? And um, I think for most of us, uh, knowing what I know about you, you probably feel very much the same way that the last challenge is the last challenge and part of the excitement of life 
and career is looking at that new challenge and saying, Hey, am I going to be able to make it up? I'm, I'm another day older now. And that looks pretty steep, but, uh, that's what's in front of me. So I'm going to run up it. Yeah. 100%. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll find a way. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I speak for my listeners as well. We really appreciate it. Thanks for talking to us a little bit about uh, geospatial and especially the definition that you provided. You read my mind on that one. <laughs> Um, but it's no, a great pleasure to be with you, Ryan. Thank you for the invitation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I know you're a busy man. I know you have a lot, hundred things on the go. So we really do appreciate you taking time out and, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Ryan. And to all our listeners out there, we wish you success in your future speaking endeavors. Hi, this is Ryan. If you're a fan of this podcast, you might also like my book, The Effective Presenter. In my book, I've distilled my years of experience teaching in universities, giving keynotes around the world, and presenting at various institutions into real-life actionable tips that you can use to level up your career and your success. My book is available on Amazon. It's available in Kindle and print formats, also on Audible. It's available everywhere books are sold. Look for the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in connecting with me, it's www.ryanj w-a-r-r-i-n-e-r.com that's ryanjwarner.com please feel free to get in touch i'd be happy to chat happy to reach out see if we can level up your team your department or your organization Mm -hmm.